Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick ignored the order? Ignored the order? Any chance he forgot about it? No. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick left your office and said, the old man is wrong? No. When Lieutenant Kendrick spoke to the platoon and ordered them not to touch Santiago, any chance they ignored him? You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands? Asked him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. Colonel, I have just one more question before I call Airman O'Malley and Airman Rodriguez. If you gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, and your orders are always followed, then why would Santiago be in danger? Why would it be necessary to transfer him off the base? Santiago was a substandard Marine. He was being transferred... That's not what you said. You said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger. That's correct. You said he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said, is there any... I recall what I I said. I can have the court reporter read back to you. I know what I said. I don't have to have it read back to me like I'm... Why the two orders? Colonel? Sometimes men take matters into their own hands. No, sir. You made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in any danger at all, should he have, Colonel? You snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. Hi everybody, this is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. Hey, I opened up with that scene from A Few Good Men because uh, if you got the chance to see the uh, the uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, questioning uh, Attorney General Barr, I think that's exactly the scene they were trying to to duplicate, and uh, and I and I think it was it was I just don't think they realized who they were up against. They weren't they weren't. They weren't up against an amateur. They're up against one of the smartest legal minds in the in the country here, and uh, the Democrats were quite unsuccessful. We're going to talk a little bit, bit about that. Also, use that music from Sticks' new uh, newest album called Radio Silence. Uh, and I'll tell you the reason I thought about that is, hey, I record this show every week, and uh, I'm sitting in a studio and I'm talking to a microphone. And I don't get any feedback from you guys until I get some feedback from you guys. I get radio silence back, and I just happened to get—I uh, happened to have posted on uh, my LinkedIn that 
uh, as I told you that we uh, we merged uh, Wholesale Capital into uh, our new company, Summit Funding. And uh, so I put in, I changed my uh, my my profile in there to Branch Manager of Summit Funding. And apparently that blasted out to the whole world, everybody who knows me. And I heard uh, from a colleague of mine, Alan Young, who's also a uh, lender, and he uh, he said, "Hey, congratulations, Ed! And uh, hey, I, I love your show, the main event. Keep keep it going." And uh, and I just wanted to say, hey, I appreciate when you guys give me a uh, give me a shout out because it tells me you guys are listening. Otherwise, uh, you know, when there's events like the Unite IE, I get a chance to meet meet the listeners, or when you call to to do alone with me, it's uh, I get a chance to hear that you guys are are listening. I know you're out there. I hear the I hear it, but I do appreciate it when you guys give me a shout out. So anyway, uh, but I wanted to before we go any further, I'm going to talk about everything that's going on this week and everything you need to know. And we have a really good show for you today, so uh, so pay attention. It's going to be it's going to be a good one. But before I go any further, let me introduce myself. My name's Ed Hoffman, branch manager of Summit Funding. Lending all over the place. If you're interested in, in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing and you want to talk to somebody who thinks like you, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to talk with me but you don't want to talk on the phone, you can still get me at www.wccloans.com. I'll give you the uh, the summitfunding.net link um, as soon as I figure out how to na- navigate it into my page on there. Uh, but you can still get me at the wccloans.com. Click on looking for a loan. Click on apply now and uh, give me as much information if, as you want to give me. Tell me how much mo- uh, information you want back. And you'll hear back from either myself or somebody uh, on my team, uh, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, Cody Bradbury, Aaron Fredericks, or Randy Johnson, and you'll uh, we'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Uh, if you any part of the show you want repeated, or you missed it, or you came in at the end and you go, "Oh man, I missed it. I wanted to hear the beginning." Uh, I guess you're not going to hear it because it's only the beginning. I'm giving you this. Go to edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page and you'll hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes where you can subscribe for free, have it download uh, to your uh, your device, your phone, your computer, whatever you listen to podcasts on and uh, subscribe for free and listen to it whenever you want. Um, follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman where I tweet about current events all week long. And uh, you can also get me on uh, get the Facebook Facebook uh, main event page that's facebook.com slash the main event at Hoffman. And uh, if you hear something you want to make a comment on the listener hotline 855-640-2092. Okay, so now that I got all that out of the way, it seemed a little awkward this week because uh, I got I got a different script with different names of my company. So uh, anyway, let's get on to what's happening this week. Because uh, we got a lot to get through and only an hour to talk about it. So uh, this week, Attorney General William Barr testified be- testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday, appearing on Capitol Hill for the first time since the Mueller report was made public. Here are some of the highlights. The Democrats attempted to press Barr on a letter that Robert Mueller uh, wrote in March, which they say accused him of failing to capture the context, nature, and substance of the special counsel's report and outlining its findings the weeks before releasing the document. So if you'll remember, he released a four-page document, and he said, hey, we got the Mueller report. This is what it says, and he did a four-page summary of it, and apparently, uh, apparently, allegedly, Mueller sent him a letter saying it failed to 
failed to capture the context, nature, and substance. They accused Barr of lying because he made no mention of the letter when he testified last month to the, uh, to the uh, Senate. Um, in response, Barr said he spoke to Mueller personally on the phone after the news coverage of the March 24th letter, and Mueller said it wasn't Barr he was concerned about, but the media. I offered uh, Bob Mueller the opportunity to review that letter before it went out, and he declined. And I asked him if he was suggesting that the March 24th letter was inaccurate, and he said no, but that the press reporting had been inaccurate. He argued for putting out summaries uh, of each volume, the executive summaries uh, that had been written by his office. He was very clear with me that he was not suggesting that uh, we had misrepresented his report. It's funny how uh, people spin stuff when they don't know what they're talking about. You know, hey, you know what? This is what Mueller said. He said that you're full of it. You didn't know you didn't know what you're talking about, and you lied to us. When in fact, that really wasn't what he said. But of course, it's all taken out of context. And of course, if you don't pay attention, if you don't pay attention to the to the whole story, if you don't listen, if you don't read, if you just listen to the little clips that they play for you on the internet, on Facebook, on Instagram, on uh, PMS, NBC, or the Communist News Network, then uh, then you will never know exactly because you'll you'll hear their share of it. And believe me, we're going to talk more about fake news uh, more in the later this half and the and the whole second half. You're going to get a whole big bite of that. Um, despite the Democrats making him out to be the enemy. There's more proof that Mueller trusts Bill Barr. Uh, there's more. There's more proof that that Mueller actually trusts Bill Barr. As Lindsey Graham reminded us, Mueller opting not to pursue an obstru- obstruction of justice case means he was giving Barr the decision-making power on obstruction. That's true. Obstruction of justice. Were you surprised he was going to let you decide? Uh, yes, I was surprised. An obstruction case. Uh, typically has two aspects to it. One, there's usually an underlying criminality. That Let's be- stop right there. Yeah. Was there an underlying crime here? No. If the president is being falsely accused, which the evidence now suggests that the accusations against them were false, if he and he knew they were false, and he felt that uh, this investigation was unfair, propelled by his political opponents, and was and was hampering his ability to govern. That is not a corrupt motive for replacing an independent counsel. Yeah, so you you know you know, the the Democrats spin it so much differently. Hey, you know he's trying to get rid of Mueller so he so he can stop him from finding out the truth. Well, Trump knew the truth. Trump knew what happened. You know they're saying, hey, you know they're trying to find out what Trump knows that he doesn't want anybody to find out. Trump knew the truth that there was nothing to be nothing to be found. And he knew that there was there was conflict of interest there. So if he had said, "Hey, this is, this guy has a conflict. We need to replace him," wouldn't have been an obstruction of justice. But they want to spin it their way. They want to spin it their way, and of course they want to they want to talk about his attorney McGahn uh, that he told him that, "Hey, let's not talk about what I said." Mm, you know, it's 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 all just it's all just you know when you think about it. When you think about everything that's happened, well, you know, we had all these different indictments from this from this uh, prosecution or from this investigation. When you think about it, uh, this whole investigation came off of a came off of a FISA FISA uh, warrant that started from a phony phony made up dossier that was paid for by the Democrats and the Hillary Clinton campaign, based on the fact that 
something false was created to get the the ability to spy on on uh, the Trump campaign. Kind of like, hey, you know, you didn't have a search warrant. You went into somebody's house. You found found evidence, but you didn't have a legal search warrant. You have to throw all that evidence out. Based on that, I could I could guess I could support Trump pardoning everybody that they that they put away. You know, uh, certainly General Flynn and uh, and uh, Papadopoulos and you know all those guys. I don't know about uh, I don't know about Manafort because he got put away for uh, for evading taxes and for five years years before he even met Trump. So I don't know that I don't, I have, I have a special place in my, in my uh, craw for people that cheat on their taxes. Um, because I don't, because it's one time, maybe, maybe I tried to get away with something and the IRS, I went toe to toe with the IRS and I found out that, Hey, you know what? I can't win, win that fight. So I just don't, but I see what I see being in the mortgage business. I look at how people file their taxes and it just makes me mad that people think rich people are the ones that that evade taxes. It's not the rich people. It's the people in between the poor people and the rich people. So, uh, but did the but did the Democrats on the committee let Attorney General sail through this hearing? Of course not. Rather than ask Attorney General, uh, rather than ask Attorney General questions, Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, most of you have never heard of her. She used her time to read a long rant against Barr uh, that was obviously written by one of her staffers. Mr. Barr. Now, the American people know that you are no different from Rudy Giuliani or Kellyanne Conway or any of the other people who sacrificed their once decent reputation for the grifter and liar who sits in the Oval Office. You once turned down a job offer from Donald Trump, but when we read the report, we knew Robert Mueller's concerns were valid and that your version of events was false. You told Senator Chris Van Hollen that you didn't know if Bob Mueller supported your conclusions, but you knew you lied. But I wasn't surprised. You did exactly what I thought you'd do. It's why I voted against your confirmation. But now we know more about your deep involvement in trying to cover up for Donald Trump. Being Attorney General of the United States is a sacred trust. You have betrayed that trust. America deserves better. You should resign. I have some questions for you. Yeah, this you know if you if you saw the confirmation hearings of Brett Kavanaugh or uh, Justice uh, Gorsuch, same thing happened. You'd have you'd have uh, five minutes of Republicans asking questions, and you'd have five minutes of Democrats grandstanding and trying to make him look accusing accusing them of doing stuff they shouldn't that that they didn't and just grandstanding just to just on partisan stuff make made no difference eventually uh uh Hirono got around to asking a couple questions but when when the slander continued Lindsey graham stepped in and so you think it's okay for a president to offer pardons to people who don't testify against him to threaten the family of someone who does is that okay? Uh, what? When did he offer a, a pardon to someone? I think you know what I'm talking about. Please. What do you please, mean? Please, Mr. Attorney General. You know, give us some credit for knowing what the hell is going on around here with you. Not really. To this line of questioning. So. No, no, we're gonna, listen, you slandered this man. Yeah, what I sort of want to know is how do, we get, how do we get to this point? Yeah. I do not think so, that how do we I'm get to the point anyone. Where the, so, all, all I can say, Mr. Chairman, I, I am done. Thank you very and much. And you slandered this man from top to bottom. So if you want more of this, you're not going to get it. If you want to ask him questions, you can't. 
Yeah, Maisie Hirono just bowed out real easy. So, well, I'm done. I'm done. You know, because I really don't know, except for what my staffer wrote on this letter. I really don't know what else to say because I don't really have any knowledge of anything except for what's here. Who knows what her motivations are for putting on a show? Uh, but when you're running for president, it's clear what your motivations are in the hearings. Case in point, Kamala Harris. Uh, Attorney General Barr, has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, yes or no. Could you, could you repeat that question? I will repeat it. Yeah. Has the president or anyone at the white house ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir. Um, the president or anybody else. Seems you'd remember something like that and be able to tell us. Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. I mean, there have been discussions of, of matters out there that uh, they have not asked me to open an investigation. But Perhaps they've suggested? I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. Hinted? I, I don't know. Inferred? You don't know. Okay. You got the war of the gargantuas there. They, you got two attorneys that know they're trying to trick each other into saying that, hey, you know what, did the president or anyone ever say this? Yes or no? Well, if you say say no, well, what if someone walked in on the White House White House tour and said, "Hey, Attorney General, uh, you should investigate Hillary Clinton," and he didn't even didn't even notice it? Hey, well, we got a witness that said, "Hey, I was in the White House and I suggested to him," and now he lied. So you know that Kamala Harris is just trying to trying to uh, to trap him, and he's being careful about it. You know, he's not, well, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, suggested or, you know, and, and the fact he said, did the president or anyone. Next, she asked him about when he and uh, Rod Rosenstein, Rosenstein arrived at the conclusion that the president had not committed obstruction of justice. This is a long clip, but it's a perfect illustration of how the Democrats, uh, how they use their tactics. My question is in reaching your conclusion, did you personally review all of the underlying evidence? Uh, no, we took an accepted. Did, 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 did Mr. The Rosenstein? No, we accepted the statements in the report as the factual record. We did not go underneath it to see whether or not they were accurate. We accepted it as accurate and made our. So you our, accepted it, the report as the evidence? Yes. You did not question or look at the underlying evidence that supports the conclusions in the report? No. Did uh, Mr. Rosenstein review the evidence that underlines and supports the conclusions in the report, to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge. We accepted the statements in the report did and anyone the characterization in your, of the evidence is true. Did anyone in your executive office review the evidence supporting the report? No. No. Yet you represented to the American public that the evidence was not, quote, sufficient to support an obstruction of justice the evidence offense. Present, the evidence presented in the report. This is, not a, this is not a mysterious process. In the Department of Justice, we have pros memos and declination memos every day coming up. And we don't go and look at the underlying evidence. We, Sir, would you we support take the characterization of the evidence as true? As the Attorney General of the United States, you run the United States Department of Justice. If in any U.S. Attorney's office around the country, the head of that office, when being asked to make a critical decision 
about, in this case, the person who holds the highest office in the land, mm -hmm. and whether or not that person committed a crime, would you accept them recommending a charging decision to you if they had not reviewed the evidence? Well, that's a question for Bob Mueller. He's the U.S. attorney. He's the one who presents the report. But it was you who made the charging decision, sir. You made the decision not to charge the president. No, in a Pross memo and in a declination memo. You said it was your baby. What did you mean by that? It was my, it was my baby to, to let to decide whether or not to disclose it to the public. And whose decision and we, was and, it? Who's, and, who had the power to make the decision about whether or not the evidence was sufficient to make a determination of whether there had been an obstruction of justice? Prosecution memos go up to the supervisor, in this case it was the, you know, the Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General, who, who decide on the final decision. And that is based on the memo as presented by the U.S. Attorney's Office. I think you've I've made seen, it clear that of, you've not looked I've at the evidence. We can move on. I I've think it, you've made it clear, sir, that you've not looked at the evidence, and we can bed. move on. Yeah, we just spent two and a half years and $35 million reviewing the evidence and to have a report presented to the attorney general. The Democrats wanted independent counsel, not the president's attorney general, to go through the evidence. And now she wants the attorney general to make sure that he reviews the evidence as well. This is clearly grandstanding. It's all just BS and it's all just lawyer tricks. So uh, I applaud uh, William Barr for for standing up and and just dealing with it. Not I would I would have just <clears throat> I wouldn't have dealt with it quite so diplomatically. So let's talk about uh, stuff that's also going on this this week. The country of Venezuela, once the richest nation in the South America, is now engulfed in chaos as two men claim to be the rightful leaders in the country. Uh, Juan Guaido, former National Assembly leader who was appointed acting president in January, is pushing to oust Nicolas Maduro, who took over after the, after the death of Hugo Chavez in 2013 and has consolidated an authoritarian grip over the country. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has confirmed that the U.S. is backing Guaido and has declared Maduro illegitimate, saying he has to go. And he, and he was about to go to flee the, the, to Cuba until the Russians convinced him to stay in Ve, uh, Venezuela. So if you say he was getting ready to head over to the airport and the Russians talked him out of it, are the Russians responsible now for what's going on? We, we've made clear all along, Wolf, that, uh, that Maduro is surrounded by Cubans and has been supported by Russians there in Venezuela. Uh, and we've told the Russians and we've told the Cubans uh, that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to starve people. It's unacceptable to allow sick children not to be able to get their medicine. Uh, the nations of the region, uh, the Lima Group, the Organization of American States are all demanding uh, that we get democracy restored and that we get dignity back to this once great nation. It's a, it's a country that has the capacity for great wealth, and the United States is prepared to stand with the Venezuelan people to support uh, the interim government to help a free and fair election take place and then to build back this country. And this is what happens with, with socialism, because uh, the government guarantees everyone gets an equal share, and the government controls everything. Aside from the fact that they're being mowed down in the streets by military tanks, the civilian protesters in Venezuela are unable to protect themselves because the government outlawed gun ownership in 2012. Interestingly, one MSNBC contributor almost caught himself defending the Second Amendment while discussing the topic. You have to understand in Venezuela, gun ownership is not something that is open to everybody. So if the military have the guns, they have the power. And as long as Nicolas Maduro controls the military, he controls the country. Now, while we're on the subject of uh, socialism, 
Uh, I have a special guest this week that we're going to talk all through the second second half, uh, Mr. Mitt Sandrew, who uh, who wrote a book called Escape from Communism. Mitt, welcome to the main event. Thank you, Ed. Thank so you for having me on your show. We have uh, we have uh, just about 30 seconds left, but I wanted to just introduce everybody. Mitt's, uh, Mitt's been in this country since 1972? Yes. 1972, he left uh, Romania. Romania, and he's going to tell his story in the second half. And he's going to tell everybody, does does this scare you, what everybody talking about socialism and heading towards it in the United States? Well, I risked my life to escape out of the communist hell. And here, socialist is encroaching on the free land of America. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We're uh, we're gonna we're gonna stop right here for five minutes of uh, of traffic, weather, commercials, and sports, and we'll be right back. And uh, me and Mitt are gonna talk about what what he experienced in uh, in communist Romania. Don't go away. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman. If you listen through uh, part one of the main event this week, you know that we've been talking about, uh, we ended up talking about the situation in Venezuela and uh, socialism and how it's breaking down in the, uh, in the, in the country of Venezuela. And I, as I introduced him before the first half, we have Mr. Dumitru Sandru. He goes by Mitt. Who's a, a resident of Moreno Valley? Who's uh, been a been in the United States since 1972? After you escaped from what country? From Socialist Romania. Socialist Re- Romania. And uh, what was it like growing up in? Uh, so you're there till you're 18. I unfortunately I was born there and I lived there for 18 years until I couldn't take it any longer. Uh-huh. But what I like to add is the fact: How did Romania or all the Eastern European countries became socialist? Well, it was done through election fraud orchestrated by the Soviet Union. So Russia, even back then, was involved in changing governments throughout Europe and the world. Mm-hmm. So once the socialists got power, was elected as a majority party, the first thing they moved on is to eliminate the opposition. They arrested all the opposition leaders, threw them in jail, and sentenced them to life in prison, or they got executed. And the charges were that they uh, colluded the United States uh, to, to uh, against the fair election, which was actually fraudulent by the Soviet Union, just like sounds to, it sounds like today, right? Sounds like today, exactly. Obstruction of justice and all kind of fabricated charges. So a lot of uh, most of the op- opposition leaders ended up um, executed. After they got rid of the opposition, they moved against the wealthy people, the most productive and the one who'd had, who really were the basis for the economic economic welfare of the of Romania. Now, uh, getting rid of the rich was done under the guise of redistribution of wealth. Sounds familiar? Uh-huh. That's how it's done. So what they do, they confiscate, well, they nationalize, but in reality, they confiscate all the land, real estate, factories, finances, banking, everything from the wealthy people. And after they do that, they take them and they take them to the gulag, where majority of those people die from famine and hard work. So in a few years, uh, 
Romania had a totalitarian police state with no opposition whatsoever so economically. Every, so, every, so everybody that owns anything no longer owns anything. Exactly. The state owned everything and everybody was working for the state. So if you uh, own a house now... Uh, and socialism came in, you would would you stay in your house or you'd you'd stay in your house, but you just don't own it? Good question. Let me explain. If you have two houses, one of them will take it they will take away house from you. If you have an apartment building, they'll take the apartment building from you. If you have a house like my wife and I and are living in a four bedroom house, what they will do, they're gonna bring people, homeless people, and then put them in your house. So you would consider yourself, yourself lucky if you can keep your master bedroom or your master bathroom. The other bedrooms are allocated to people who don't have housing. And, of course, the kitchen becomes a uh, common Com- use. Community. Yeah. So uh, that's what happens uh, when they eliminate all the wealth from the hands of the private citizens. And if you don't, and if you don't own anything, you're just in an apartment... You're renting. You just stay there and you just don't have to pay rent anymore. You, well, you keep paying, paying rent. However, uh, the rent is reduced because, after all, they have to accommodate everyone. If they wouldn't get any benefit, the people would uprise. So they'll freeze prices at lower, lower prices level uh, and um, they'll subsidize a lot of things. Now, they'll subsidize it to a point where, as it happens today in Venezuela, and I'm bringing this to, so it's not was 50 years ago, 60 years ago. It's happening today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard that uh, Venezuela doesn't have toilet paper. And then the manufacturer of toilet paper um, was selling the toilet paper in Colombia and Panama, not in Venezuela. Aha, here is the problem. Those uh, capitalists are uh, subverting socialists by selling the toilet paper outside the country. What the fake news forgot to say is that the raw material costs more than the toilet paper in the market. But during the socialist government froze the prices from uh, basic staples. So now the manufacturers, in order to sustain business, they have to sell their uh, products outside the country because otherwise they go bankrupt. So uh, so the, the whole concept of uh, uh, socialism is great is until you run out of other people's money. Absolutely. Uh, well, it goes through several steps. One, you confiscate their money. And run out of those and, and the confiscation of the money here, here is the issue uh, uh my grandfather from my mother's side uh, was wealthy okay they they luckily escaped the gulags um they had a flour mill and a um, cooking oil uh, factory mm-hmm. so they were nationalized they they continue producing but now was not managed by my grandfather who knew the business but some bureaucrat some incompetent manager which had was no not aware of any um, demand and supply principles or market forces and so on all the decisions were made at a, a higher level so whatever we're producing was whatever the order came from above not what the market needed so kind of like uh, when the government takes over healthcare or just about anything else. Oh, I can tell you more about that. Okay. <laughs> um, so the thing is now, uh, the government confiscated all this wealth. How come this wealth does not appear in the everyday, everyday people's life? And the reason is because under socialism, I have bad news for uh, socialist hopefuls. Under socialists, there is no welfare and there is no unemployment insurance. If you want to live, you have to work. So you say, well, good. Ocasio Perez promises jobs for everyone, right? Well, except that you're going to give a a job pulled out of a hat and you have to go to work there. And that job may not necessarily be what you want to do. 
And the pay is going to be very low because now you have to employ and pay a large popula- portion of the population where before it was on welfare. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we only have so much money or so many money, uh, so much money you can print. So the, the, uh, the wages are low. Now, what happens is that, and this is that why socialists cannot possibly ever work. You're at work and you bust your ass, pardon, my butt, your butt. That's okay. Uh, to to uh, work harder, to get increases, uh, to get uh, bonuses and so on. And here at your job, some people are brought in who have no desire to work, have no desire to, uh, don't have the skills and they fake that they're working. How, uh, and by the way, they're paid the same as you are. Mm-hmm. How long is it gonna take you before you slow down and produce less? Because w- what good does it do you? You're not gonna make any more money. Profit is eliminated. Exactly, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a demotivator. Exactly, so you slow down and the productivity of the entire country goes down. And what uh, the result of it is scarcity of every, per, per, Every uh, conceivable item you can find. Um, long lines when they come uh, available. Uh, the quality is shoddy. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to basic staple like bread, by nine o'clock, uh, the bakeries were sold out. Empty shelves. Meat. Oh, two pounds per person per month. Per month? Per month. Two pounds. Per month, I go to two pounds per day. Okay, that's what you get. Now, back then, of course, uh, there was there were no cars and so on. Everybody was on bicycle if they were lucky to own a bicycle. Uh-huh. But uh, that uh, sounds very similar to what Ocasio-Cortez is promising us. No meat, no cows, no trucks, no cars, no pollution. Uh-huh. So how you like to live on water and bread or bread and water? So, so basic. So basically, uh, everybody still wants to eat, but since you don't have any, you don't have any motivation to work hard. Nobody works hard. Yes. And so there's not very much production of anything. Yes. And they take it on on paper. I guess. I guess if in a, in a fairy tale, hey, everybody's everybody's just happy to go to work and everybody's happy to do whatever needs to be done. But in reality, is people just the human the human uh, spirit isn't being fed and nobody just nobody's putting out any effort and therefore nobody's uh, nobody's producing that's correct uh, the thing is that nobody has more than you but everybody's equally poor so that's socialism uh, the other thing about socialism is the uh, political oppression uh, basically, you cannot complain of shortages because uh, the state owns all the factories. You ne- cannot complain about uh, the long lines. You cannot complain about anything that the government may be implicated of causing. Mm-hmm. And definitely, you cannot say anything politically incorrect about the socialist government. If you do, then you will be taken to the police station and you would be lucky to escape with a good beating instead of being thrown in jail and later on in prison. The uh, state enforces very strictly how people, what people say and how they behave in, in public. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't, don't grumble, but they do it in a, uh, slowly and, and under the, they do it under among the friends. They don't yeah. do it in, in public. So, um, so that's an aspect of the uh, oppression which goes on in... Uh, in a socialist country. So, one party, one power, one police state. 
So people don't have any idea what they're getting into what, when they're talking about, hey, socialism is going to be great. We're going to have a guaranteed, a guaranteed um, uh, universal income. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have uni- We're going to have guaranteed health care. We're going to have a single payer. Everybody, everybody's entitled to health care. They have no idea what they're getting into, do they? They have no idea until it's too late, and the police state is, is so um, its own power that nobody can rise. By the way, in a socialist state, they confiscate all your guns right up front. So, no nobody, so nobody can fight back. Nobody can fight back. Whereas the gun gun control people think, hey, the, hey, let's if nobody has guns, we don't have to worry about it. That's but right. the reality is, if the government confiscates all the guns, you don't have any you don't have any uh, any protection against the government being uh, tyrannical. Absolutely. Folks, keep your guns because it will protect you against the socialist government. Um, what did your parents do? How did your, how did your, how did your family live when you were a kid? Well, uh, my, my parents, uh, both of them worked. Everybody had to work. Um, uh, them and I stood in long lines to get all the necessary uh, staples to, to live. What did they have to, what, what did they do? So they had a, they had a, uh, they had a, a, a cooking oil factory and... Oh, that was confiscated. That was on my mother's side. That was gone. Okay, so after, after, they, went, after that, they went communist, yeah. what jobs did they give your, your family? Well, uh, my mother got married to my father, uh, uh, and then uh, each one of them had to go to, to work, find, find a job, or was given a job. And uh, one way or another, eventually you may manage to have connections and find a little better job. Uh, as far as concerned, the, um, the job you do, the, the pay is the same. So my parents were working full time, um, I was taken to kindergarten and then uh, to, to to school. Um, they uh, they took good care of me. I, for one, I never went to bed hungry. In spite of the famish and the poverty and the scarcity, I always was taken good care by my parents because because you didn't know any different. I, I didn't know any different when I was when I was little, and and this is one of the things that uh, segue into what I'm hearing today in the United States that how many children go to bed hungry. I just bristle at that because in my opinion, if I didn't go to bed hungry, in the poverty and the misery of socialism. Kids go here hungry in the wealthiest country in the world. I think what we have here is a, a parenting problem, not a wealth problem. I agree. I agree. So t- talk about the educational system. Education, free education, by the way. Uh, of course, it is free education. Uh, and uh, however, after you finish first eight years, uh, then you have to go into high school and you just don't walk into high school. Not every kid was allowed to go to high school. You have to pass a test. So they, that, was, that became the first calling of, of students. 40% probably were going to high school. The rest of them had to go to work or look for a trade school to learn a skill. So if you're a flunky, if you just weren't a good student, you're a flunky. You're stop. given a, a shovel and go out there to yeah. Stop wasting time. You it, go. You go be a laborer. That's right. Okay. Uh, then the next step was to go to university. That was even tougher. Um, the uh, entrance exam was so tough that you actually there were ten to twenty participants per per every seat in the university, depending what university that was. So imagine the competition and the, how bright you had to be to pass the exam, unless you had connections. Uh, yeah, unless you were a, mo- a movie star and you could uh, you could uh, pay except, somebody to get except, that kid in. Except here was a political connections. Mm-hmm. Um, so after you finish school, 
which was free, you had to work five years for the state, whatever they assigned you. Now, that sounds good. Look, you go to university, it's paid for, and then you get a job after it. Well, would you like to go to Alaska? <laughs> the job can be anywhere, and most jobs were not near the city you grew in. Yeah, but if you go to Alaska, then you're in the United States, you can escape. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing Alaska. Oh, okay. If you would be in the United States, like, like they say, free education here, uh -huh. then after you finish your higher education, then they would uh, allocate you to a, a job. In Alaska. In, in Alaska or in Wyoming. Uh -huh. You know, whatever, they have a scarcity of doctors or uh -huh. clerks and so on. So that was the deal. Not, so now here is the point. It was free education, but if you cannot get that education you want, mm -hmm. is that free? Is not free at all. Nope. How about college? You said you were blacklisted from the college system. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, what uh, finally convinced me to get out of uh, socialism um, was that I instigated a small revolt uh, the year before I left. And... Um, it was not a big deal, and it was uh, for the right reason. Uh, they were sending us to work in the fields for a couple of weeks, and the uh, housing and the food was terrible. So I said, you know, if this continues like that, I'm going to go home. So other classmates agreed, and then we stood up, and, and they had to bring us better food and, and blankets at night because they would put us to sleep in a, in a barrack with broken windows mm -hmm. and no blankets. And, and this, it's cold in Romania in September. And, uh, and uh, after we got, got back to classes, then I was called to the principal, and with the principal was the Secret Service, which was uh, uh, enforcing the, the, the state's uh, rule. Mm -hmm. And I was told that if I continue, if I ever do one more infraction like this, I will be blackballed from going to university. Mm -hmm. Now, what's the big deal? Well, it's a big deal because if you have want to have a better life in a socialist state, you have to go to university. Otherwise, uh, uh, even skilled laborers are not paid as well uh, as a university graduate. And I, that was not a warning. After that, I saw my grades sinking and I realized I was persecuted. And that convinced me that I had no future in, in Romania and that I had to get out. Now, getting out of Romania, it's as easy as going to the moon. Okay, so tell us about that. <laughs> in a socialist state, you are not given a passport unless there is an authorized reason for you to travel abroad. If I would have gone and asked for a passport, I would have been arrested. So the only other way to get out of Romania was to escape. And I use the word escape because the entire country resembled a concentration camp. The border had wire fences around it, barbed wire fences, chain link fences. The border was patrolled by, by armed guards authorized to shoot without warning. If they saw you, if you're running away, they had dogs. They had trip wires to shoot flares if you were in the middle of the night, stepping on all of them to alert the guards. Uh -huh. So it was not an easy uh, proposition. As a matter of fact, the chances of crossing a communist socialist border illegally was 5%. The other 95% was caught, some of them were shot, and everybody ended up in jail. Now, uh, in my case, I was with the classmates, so we were crawling through the fields at night, mm -hmm. and we didn't know the land. But what happened is the, uh, the, the border is uh, peppered by uh, watchtowers, uh, observation towers. 
for the border patrols in the middle of the day to observe the fields ahead of the border and send enforcements to pick up all those people who are trying to cross the border illegally. Uh-huh. So the watch, uh, uh, observation towers told us where the border was. So we walked only at night because in the day they would have find us. And as we were walking at night, stooped, you know, crawling and so on and so forth, uh, um, green uh, flare. flare exploded in the sky. Now, it was so intense that we could see our shadows. So we dropped to the ground. We did not even look. We just covered our faces and stayed there. Then it became a big commotion. Lots of flares illuminating the fields all around. Um, there were dogs barking, people yelling, and then someone shot a Kalashnikov. I could distinctly hear the, the, the shots. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what happened. It was a warning shot or whatever. But it wasn't you. It wasn't us. It was someplace other desperados like us. But you but at the time you didn't know whether they were after whether whether you tripped the wire or somebody else did, you just No, we didn't know. We didn't know what happened. But um after the commotion uh, quieted down, then a red flare was shot and that was the warning to send a truck to pick up the people they caught. Mm-hmm. So we stayed there. Luckily for us, they were distracted by these other people, unlucky people. So then we crawled on our knees and elbows uh to the border. And uh, wait late in the night, we crossed it. And the border uh, was, at that time, we didn't have any incident. We crossed the border in Yugoslavia. Now, Yugoslavia is another socialist country. Fortunately for not many Yugoslavs wants to run away and uh, cross the border into Romania. So the Yugoslavs were not patrolling the border, uh, Romanian border, the way they patrolled their Western borders. Mm-hmm. But we have to cross the entire Yugoslavia and then cross another communist border into Italy. Okay, and were the same kind of uh, guards at the uh, Italian border? At the Italian border, we were chased by the border patrol dogs. But you made it. We, we made it, we made it, and uh, I cannot express the feeling um, we had when we realized we were in Italy. Basically, I can say is free at last, just like uh, any other black slave, when finally they found themselves free, because we are out of the socialist slavery. So, will you say to say to people in this country they don't want any part of communism? If they're wise, yes. And what do you, and how do you and so eventually you you went from Italy, you got into Canada, and you eventually got into the United States. Well, yeah. Uh, in Italy, we asked for political asylum, mm-hmm. and uh, because of the Vietnam War, I asked to go to Canada. Now, let me explain why of the Vietnam War. I was not afraid that I was going to be drafted and sent to war. I was afraid that in Vietnam, the North Vietnamese may catch me and then send me back to Romania. I was more afraid of being returned to the communist Romania than being killed. The fear that communists and socialists puts in your soul is incredible. And Canada uh, did not accept anybody like me with no skills. Uh, because they want to accept people which made a contribution to Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I applied for United States, which was the country I wanted to go anyway. So I came to United States and um, uh, I immigrated legally, obviously. Um, I worked really hard. I educated myself. I got married, bought a house, cat and dog, you know. Um, Gotta you know, have a cat and dog. A cat and dog. I went at ninth and educate myself, become a professional, um, become a citizen, pay taxes like any other citizen should do. So what are your, what are your, so we got a couple minutes left. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on the caravans and the migration from Central America and immigration mess that we're in right now? Okay. 
what's happening right now is the dream of the leftist and the anarchist to destroy America. This is the most incredible um, immigration law I ever seen, where these people come like hordes from the steppes of Russia, of course they come from some South America. Mm-hmm. But wait until the rest of the world hears that if you make it in Mexico and you make it to the border, you get in the United States. What we see right now is going to be nothing in comparison with the rest of the world which gets the hint how to get into the United States. So building the wall? Building the wall works. It worked for the socialists. Socialists uh, uh, um, kept the people in where we tried to keep, keep the people out. And socialists, and socialists, only 5% of the people trying like me uh, cross the wall. So the same thing will happen here if we okay. build the wall. Okay, so we've got, we've got just a th- about 30 seconds left. Uh, so th- what, what would you say to young people who are blindly, blindly following someone like Bernie Sanders or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? I only have to say that socialism doesn't work and it will bring poverty and misery for all equally. Okay, so before we, before we sign off, I want to say, Mitt, thank you for coming to our, uh, to our show. How do, people get in, how do people get your book? The book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Escape from Communists by Dimitri Sandru, paperback or ebook. It's Dimitri Sandru. There's another one called Escape from Communism by somebody else, right? By somebody else. Okay, I like so them to, to buy my book because it has the, more gore, the best gory details you can ever read about. A lot more details than I explained over here. All right. And folks, and folks send me send me a, send me an email at uh, edhoffman at wccloans.com. And, uh, and give me your, if you read this book, give me your, uh, give me your, uh, your comments and, uh, let's hear about, uh, and we'll bring, uh, we'll bring Mitt back on to, to talk more about, about the stories that are in this. And, uh, Mitt, thanks for coming in and sharing your story and, uh, God bless America. Welcome to, welcome to our country. Thank you. God bless America. Okay. That's all the time we have for this episode of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again with you next week. The views expressed on this program are of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747, NMLS 9873, and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions, MB Number 0937346.